Welcome to the Weekly Warrior Podcast, where we are forging genuine human connection through fitness, health, mindset, and nutrition. Let's get to the show with your hosts, Jared Bradford, Connor Edelbrock, and Corey Mueller. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Weekly Warrior Podcast. On today's episode, we have your host, Corey Mueller and Jared Bones Bradford. What is going on, my guy? Hey, just, you know, the same old stuff, same old thing. Same chair, different day. This time, no mustache, but you're looking good. Yeah, the mustache, the lack of a mustache was upsetting and probably ruined my week to come. It is Sunday. And I don't know how I can come back from this. Uh, so thank you for that. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, pretty upsetting. So um, moving on from that, anyways, <laughs> we're going to talk about, we're having a history episode today. We haven't done a, one of these in a little while. Bones doesn't know who this is. Okay. I know who this is, though. That's good. Bones, who do you think? Let, give me like, give me your top three guesses of who this might be. Uh, okay. Number three is Teddy Roosevelt. You've already told me it's not Teddy Roosevelt, but I don't trust you. So number three <laughs> it can is always Teddy be Teddy Roosevelt. Roosevelt. <laughs> yeah. Number two would be Teddy Roosevelt's horse. Wow. Because a good man needs a horse. That's true. Very number true. one might be the guess of the of the week. Let's see who's uh, who's a wilderness. Uh, 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 what what can I have a get? Can I can you give me a timeline? What 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 are we looking at here? Seven sixteen hundreds. Uh, beginning of the nineteen hundreds. Beginning of the nineteen hundreds. So that'd be like like nineteen oh four or something, stuff like that. I'll give you and the audience one more hint. A Michigan legend. A Michigan legend. Oh god damn! It's Fred Bear. Few names are as synonymous with bow hunting and the outdoor industry as Fred <laughs> Bear. Widely known. I got it. As the father <laughs> of bow hunting, Bear's legend has only grown with time due, his, due to his unmatched skills in the field, as well as his role in creating one of the, mo- the leading bow hunting companies in the world. No bow hunter has ever influenced a sport as much as Fred Bear did, and it's likely no hunter ever will. He, so yes, you were correct. Oh, you got Fred your the Michigan Bear. legend gave it up. To, gave it. Gave it. To I you. pulled that. Yeah, I pulled that out of my ass. I didn't even know Fred Bear was from <laughs> Michigan. Yeah, I was just like, well, uh, that's got to be. I don't know. Fred Bear just. Hey, man, what a. Woo! Hats off to me, Fred Bear. Very yeah. cool dude. I think I don't know anything about him. Here's the thing. He's. The, I know that he's like the LeBron James of bow hunting. I also know one other thing about Fred Bear, that there's this badass song by Ted Nugent. Yes. Ted yep. Nugent, kind of kind of a creep, but yeah. Oh, Fred Bear, walk with me, with me in the, the woods, again. my friend. <laughs> oh, Take Fred me Bear. Back. <laughs> yes. Back where I belong. Yeah. yeah. Ted, I, I, it's a great song. And if it's anything like that, I'm going to be happy. Not a big Ted Nugent fan, to be honest. However, me neither. Uh, him and him and Fred were decent friends near the end. So what? Yeah, yeah. They Ted like, Nugent's still alive. Yeah, but Fred Bear's not. 
Right. How does that yeah. work? Uh, in the like 80s. Old- it was like late 80s. They were hanging out and uh, they got to know each other and through the bow hunting community. But yeah. Okay. Yeah. So- famous song uh, popularizing Fred Bear. And obviously, you guys probably know Bear Archery. Most of you know there's a company called Bear Archery. And especially if you live in Michigan, you've got to be familiar with the Bear Archery Company, which was based out of Grayling, Michigan until the late 80s when they moved down to, or I'm sorry, the late 70s when they moved down to Gainesville, Florida, which we're going to talk about a little bit. Um, But we're going to talk about the man himself. Obviously, Bear Archery makes and made some wonderful products. I personally, I still hunt with an early 70s Bear Kodiak Hunter. It's a 60-inch bow recurve. Uh, It's a fantastic bow. They made some wonderful stuff up in Grayling. And we're going to, yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about the legend himself. Obviously, if you guys are listening, this shouldn't be too big of a surprise, me getting into bow hunting and uh, learning from the man himself. He's got some dope ass hunting videos on YouTube, if anyone's ever really super curious. Fred Bear does? Yeah, dude. Like, uh, he's got a lot of subscribers. (laughs) Well, yeah, he does. Does he know? What is it like the Fred Bear estate? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if they know or not, but uh, there's a, I'll tell you about a quick video. They were going, they were in Alaska and they were hunting grizzly bears. And this was the first video of his that I had watched. And they were scouting from a boat. And it's like classic, you know, 60s documentary, like super cheesy music, Hmm. narrator, like talking about how badass Fred Bear is and like all this stuff that's going on. That's dope. Like, and here's Fred Bear climbing into the wilderness of Alaska. Watch him as he pulls back his 65-pound Kodiak longbow or what you know, whatever. And, uh, and then it goes silent as he pulls it back. Dude, it was crazy. They were on a beach, and, they, and yeah. the bear, the, this giant brown bear was like 10 feet away from, this, from Fred Bear. And he had a longbow. And he fucking darted it right into the bear's heart, and it it ran like twenty yards and Whoa. collapsed. Unbelievable, though. Can you imagine, let like holding a gun at a bear from ten feet away, let alone holding a bow with you know a stick, shooting a little stick with a pointy end, like crazy, crazy. The balls on that guy. <laughs> yeah, massive so, balls and huge balls. Um. So now we're gonna talk about his. Uh, the origins of uh, Fred Bear's bulls. Um, we're off to a great start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, this is good. This is good. All right, here we go. <clears throat> so Frederick Bernard Bear was born in, born in a farmhouse during a late season blizzard in Franklin County, Pennsylvania on March 5th, 1902. Fred was the middle child of Harry, Harry Bear, and Florence Bear. I love that his it. dad's name was Harry Bear. Stop. <laughs> No, Stop. I'm dead serious. I'm gonna need a. Uh, I'm gonna need a minute. Yeah, Harry Bear. Stop it. <laughs> what was his mother's name? It was Mama, obviously. Ma- <laughs> Mama Bear. All right, we're up to like a weird start. And what do you want from me? I I'm been feeling silly because I'm, okay. I'm like, We can I'm be silly. Yeah. Right. This is kind of fun. I mean, you can't start this with Harry Bear and expect it to go serious. But all right, yes. let's go. Let's Harold, go. Harold and Florence Bear. Uh, Fred sought out <laughs> oppor- outdoor opportunities from an early age. 
He justified time in the woods by running a trap line along the Kanada Kanet Creek and its feeder creeks in an old town canoe and his dog Scott, an axe and a single shot Stevens pistol. He serviced as many as 50 muskrat traps before school. Mink and skunks turned up on occasion and brought more than uh, the two to, let's see, brought much more than the $2 to $3 fetched by rat pelts. So the dude's out there already making money as a young man out in the woods running trap lines. And it's interesting. I've heard Steve Ranella talk about this on the Meat Eater podcast. Even when he was a kid, he made enough money trapping that he could, like, he could buy a truck. And I think nowadays, furs just don't bring as much money. So that's not as viable of an option for like younger kids to make money. It's like running a trap line like that, just, you know, it's just not there. People, the market isn't there anymore. So, yeah. yeah. People don't want that, I guess, as much. Yeah, not as much. Yeah. So later, Fred took to capturing the skunks because he got more money from them. So he raised them in a chicken wire skunk farm. And his uncle Charlie, who lived in New York, Help Fred market these and other trap line bounties. So the skunks must have been worth more so, because they had the uh, they had the change in fur color. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So we have we have he's a boy at this point. Still, we got we got Papa Bear, we got Mama Bear, we got Freddy Bear, and they're running a skunk <laughs> farm. Yeah. Yeah. His, and his uncle Charlie, who lived in got New it. York, was helping him out. Yep. <laughs> All right, cool. Yeah, that's cool. So we're going to fast forward a little bit. At age 13, Fred was finally old enough to join Harry Bear and his deer (laughs) hunting group at their fall camp on South Mountain, which was about five miles from the family farm. An old rail shack served as a lodge. They slept on bed rolls over corn stalks layered on the ground. Despite a chestnut blight that year uh, in the area, this was in 1915, by the way, and significantly reduced the food source for whitetails. Fred shot his first deer that year with a Winchester lever action. So he did not grow up hmm. as a bow hunter. He grew up kind of, you know, just getting outside and doing the things, but he didn't grow up shooting a longbow or a recurve bow. So we're going to make another time jump here to when he's 21. So he's 21 years old. Fred moved to Detroit, Michigan where he worked for the Packard Motor Car Company and Ford Motor Company in various capacities. But most importantly, he was doing woodworking for dashboard components. That's going to be very important for the things to come. Yeah. Can you imagine like woodworking for dashboard components? (laughs) What a different time. What a different time. Now it's just like 3D printing. Not even probably just people overseas somewhere. 3D printing or something, plastic components. But I feel like every dude back then, like, just, you just worked for the car companies in Detroit. If you were in Detroit, you came to Detroit, you, like, worked for Packard or Ford or something. Yeah, right. And that's what you did. That was, like, such a big industry. Yeah, it's true. Well, and back in those times, the cars really were more handmade. They were more... uh I don't want to say personalized because that's not necessarily true, but they just took more time to build and there was more. It's kind of like art architecture, right? Like back in the day, architecture was more artistic. Now it's just kind of more utilitarian and cars were the same way. Mm. There was a lot more art involved in cars yeah. than there is now, in my opinion. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think I think I would agree with that. I think that's a good point. It's like what I sent you. Remember, on, I sent you on Instagram the other like last week about modern day design yes. of logos, especially how they're becoming like very minimalist, but there's yeah. no like, bzzah, yeah. like independence with them anymore. But yep. versus like logos twenty years ago, even were like very individualized. Everybody looked different. Taco Bell looked different than KFC, but now they all kind of look the same. Yeah, it's like plain. Anyways. Yeah, yeah, I understand. No, it, yep. it's uh, it was yeah a different time, and uh, I like that. Like in this modern period, like of today, the Ford Maverick, obviously the truck that we have, the dashboard and most of the plastic components is made out of recycled carpet fibers. Um, cool. Which, like, I don't. It's not artistic, but at least I mean, it. I feel like it takes a little bit more than like injection molded, three D printed, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe that's just me thinking that way because no, I want that to. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, we want to rationalize the things we have to make them good, but I think to make that's them cooler. Also, something that, like, yeah, like cons- they know that consumers want like a recycled, like a well-built thing that's like not wasteful on the environment, and that's what they're they're not stupid. They know what we right. want <clears throat> to a point, and you know, so yeah, I, I get that. Yep. So we're gonna jump back into mr bear here uh okay so though fred had made crude bows and arrows as a youngster fred became truly intrigued by archery when he saw a film at detroit's adams theater after that screening of the alaskan adventures of art young and art young we could do a whole other podcast on art young he was also a very influential uh bow hunter uh back in the day and at this point he was far older than fred he was i think he was like in his 60s maybe um because he yeah i think he was like in his 60s when he met fred but anyway so um gotta pick up where i was we can edit this part out it's fine um yeah after that screening of the alaskan adventures of art young the young pattern makers ordered lemonwood staves and birch dowels from Stemler on Long Island. So that's just a, a company that they ordered the wood from. Woodworking came naturally mm-hmm. to Fred, but bow tillering, matching arrow spine, and fletching shafts properly took weeks of trials on straw bales uh, behind Fred's home and a lot of scrap, ma- uh, scrap material. So they're just in the garage making stuff. It was at Fred and his one of his friends who I didn't include the friend's name because ultimately in the grand scheme of thing, it it wasn't super important, but yeah, they're in the garage. They're in the basement. They're just, they're making stuff and figuring it out, which is pretty neat. So yeah, Fred's efforts proved timely. Not long after he began to get a few arrows, finally flying straight, his boss, Mr. Jansen invited him to a rotary meeting. The guest speaker was, you guessed it, Art Young. So Fred, with his enthusiasm for archery and disarming manner, impressed Young. They made archery equipment together in Fred's basement and shot arrows roving the hills on the outskirts of the city. Art Young passed along Mm. uh, tips on bow building that he'd learned from Will Compton and regaled stories of their time afield with Saxton Pope, who had died in 1926. So Saxton Pope, Art Young, Mm. uh, there's a thing called Pope and Young. It's a hunting organization scoring system, and so that's where that comes from. But both big names in mm-hmm. uh, in the early hunting industry. So, mm-hmm. yeah, pretty big deal. The fact that Art Young took interest in Fred Bear 
to help him work on, you know, building bows and all that. So three years later, 1929, Fred Bear hunted white-tailed deer with a bow and arrow for the first time. So at this point, Fred is like 29 years old, and he's just now, for the first time, hunting with a bow and arrow. Um, He wasn't successful in the first season, but this drove him to continue down the path of bow hunting. So I, uh, I read that. And as many of you know, I haven't started my first season of bow hunting and it made me feel a little bit better because if Fred bear can get skunked his first season and still love it, then there's hope for me. <laughs> Not dang. I can too. Yeah, that's true. You know, I could totally, yeah. Once you said that and I sat with it for a second, I was like, huh, there's parallels to Corey's life because you just started yeah, bow hunting yep. in your 30. Fred Bear can do it. That's what that's what I thought. My first season of bow hunting is uh, at thirty, and Fred Bear was twenty nine. So I can make it work. I have faith in myself. Yeah. So, so he was. Uh, he he's got this. Uh, he's he's trying to make arrows. He's not making bows yet. He's doing doing both. Okay, so he's doing both. He's trying to make yeah. them out of wood. Trying to get them to shoot straight. He's yeah. finally getting them to shoot straight because of Art Young. And now he's trying to hunt with the bows and arrows that he made. I don't, I don't know. I didn't find any information about what equipment he was using. I don't know if it was his own yet or not. Um, he hasn't even, at this point, he hasn't even opened his business yet. Um, so it probably was a different, like someone else, you know, he just bought one off the rack or whatever. I, maybe he used his own. Okay. I don't know. But so we're going to fast forward I again. Think There's, he used his own. I'm going to it makes yeah. me feel better. Yeah. His own bow that he made in his basement. Yeah. Yep. There's a there's a yep. lot of time jumps in here because, I mean, we went from his childhood to he's 29 and just finally starting to, you know, do some of this stuff. So we're going to fast forward to mm-hmm. 1933, which is four years after he went bow hunting for the first time. So in 1933, Fred Bear founded his first factory in Detroit. This factory or factory might have been a little bit of a stretch as he was building bows in his garage. Uh, so while building bows, Fred Bear became Archery's ambassador. He helped establish bow hunting seasons. What? What's so funny? <laughs> you said building bow. You said building bows, dude. It sounded like Bilbo. Yeah, he's building bows. He's Bilboing. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Fred Bear became Archery's ambassador. He helped establish bow hunting seasons in Wisconsin and Michigan in 1934 and 1936, respectively, which that's a pretty big deal. If you so prior to that, there was not a bow season. There were, there's been a rifle season in Michigan for I don't even know how long, as long as I can remember. My grandpa used to go up to the UP before the bridge was even there and go up for rifle season, which mm. always started on November 15th. Like that was that's it's been like mm. that for a long time. Prior to that, there wasn't an established bow season. So the fact that Fred Bear could influence the at that point, I don't think they were called the Department of Natural Resources, the you know Department of Conservation, I think is what they were to start mm-hmm. a bow season is pretty crazy. And then to do it in another state, yeah, of Wisconsin, which is even cooler. Um, yeah, that is cool. I mean, to think of the amount of man work and 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 like boots on the ground work it would take to establish something like that to get people mm-hmm. on board with it too 
where before it could have quite possibly just been free reign and people would be like, oh, right. You're, you're like, I can just be able to shoot my bow whenever I want. <laughs> yeah. Is pretty, uh, yeah, that's a lot of influence and work. Yeah. And I think in the reading that I did in pretty much every article or anything about Fred Bear, everybody talked about his likable personality. So hmm. everyone agreed that Fred was an extremely likable guy. He was easy to talk to. He talked to everybody. Yeah. He, he, didn't, he gave everyone the time of day, essentially. And near the end of this, we're going to talk about some of uh, the, the people that worked for him in Grayling. You know, they, they were interviewed about him. Um, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that. So, yeah, I mean, he's a likable cool. guy. He's going to influence whatever industry he chose to go into. Um, there was a cool quote that I wanted to share that goes along with this. Uh, he was a guy that had a way to mold politics and nature in a way that he didn't offend anybody. And, uh, that was a CEO of Ripcord Aero Rest. He was a gentleman at everything he'd ever done. He was respected. He was looked upon as a man of honor. And I think that ethical way that he promoted the sport and the ethical way that he showed the sport when he started filming was very instrumental in the way it's carried on today. I think he set the stage for doing it right. So hmm. um, He's a good guy. He's a good guy. I mean, at the end of the day, he's a good guy, mm -hmm. and he's a likable guy, and that gets people on board okay. with whatever he was doing. So, um, sure. yeah. And, and at to, this point, did you find, did you, were you figuring, like, his mission? He's in his, what, 30s at this point? Yeah, he's like, Early thirties, yeah, or mid thirties, yeah. Okay, so yeah, so he's in his mid thirties. He's probably finding like some serious traction with what he's doing. Do you, is is his mission to start this company, or is his mission to like promote archery and uh, conservation within the bow community, as far as like the natural resources and things like that? I think it was both. Like, just, um, okay. I think at first it was building the company, so. He was doing these things, gaining traction uh, in politics and whatever, but he was also building a very well-known brand. And um, as things progress, which started in uh, 1942, he started to go even further because they started to... Uh, he, Fred Bear started to incorporate uh, publicity with his hunt. So, like, in 1942... Uh, Bear traveled to the Upper Peninsula with Jan Van Covering of the Detroit Free Press, and he brought along a movie camera for that hunt. So Fred Bear became the first Michigan bow hunter to take a white-tailed deer on film. Um, and that, uh, okay. that footage would later be used in his first hunting film, which then made him pretty much a household name, um, especially, like, you know, in Michigan. So hmm. that... I feel like the wonder, company came if, first uh, and then everything. I mean, he was doing all the other stuff while he was yeah. building the company as well. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, so in April of 1947, so yeah, April, 1947, uh, bear archery moved from Detroit to Grayling, which was the gateway to the lower peninsula's okay. Northern forests. Fewer than 10 employees shifted with Fred Bear. 
The rest of the new plant staff of around 35 hailed from the Grayling area. Um, now, from here, I mean, the rise of his company is obvious. And I'm going to list... Um, I'm going to list some of the patents and accomplishments that they achieved in the, over the next uh, like 30 years while they were building bows and grayling. And here's what some of them include. So the bear grizzly, which is uh, one of the first mass produced recurve bows. Uh, well, that began in 1949. The first Kodiak recurve bows, which started in 1954. Bear himself hunted with a Kodiak. The bear razorhead hunting broadheads came out in 1956. The fox line of solid fiberglass bows. So you could make bows out of a couple different materials. One of them was fiberglass and it hadn't been done before. Um, all of Fred's, uh, not all of, but most of the recurve bows that they made were a mixture of wood and fiberglass. So on the bear bows, you'll see on a logo, it says glass powered. So the riser, which is the parts you grab with your hand, is typically made out of solid wood or like panels of wood that have been glued together into one solid piece. And the limbs generally have wood cores, but then are lined with fiberglass on both sides because it's more flexible um, and they, it lasts longer, essentially. So that's where it gets the, the glass powered, you know, the glass powered name. Um, okay. Bear. so. Uh, that was 1961 with the first solid fiberglass bows. Bear snap-on bow quivers, which was uh, patented in 1963, which anyone who knows anything about traditional archery knows that bow quivers are super important, and they still are even with compound bows. Um, the 48-inch Super Magnum hunting bow came out in 1967, and the Super Magnum was super cool because it was shorter. So, like, my bow is 60 inches long. A Super Magnum is 48 inches. That's a, I mean, that's, tw that's a foot mm -hmm. shorter, which is significant mm -hmm. um, if you want to sit in a blind or you're sitting in a tree or whatever. And mm. you could also get up to 70 pounds. So a 70-pound draw on a short bow would be, A, difficult, but B, I mean, that's a lot of power coming off of a smaller package. Yeah. Um, That'll so, do. Now that, it'll definitely do. Some sometimes the strongest things come in small packages. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and that makes I think I will give them that they know how to name their shit. I mean, all that sounds really cool. Yeah, I like that. Most of it is Kodiak. I mean, bow, oh. Yeah, they had the Kodiak Magnum. They had the Kodiak Hunter. Mm. They had just the Kodiak, the Grizzly, the Polar. They had a old model in the 50s. Mm. They had a model called the Ranger, which I, if I ever find a Bear Ranger, oh. I'm gonna get one. Uh yeah. not even to hunt with, just to have. But um yeah. let's see. In nineteen seventy, Fred Bear came out with a takedown bow, which basically means you can take the limbs off. Um mm. and that so that was a very early feature. Um magnesium alloy Fred Bear takedown bows in nineteen seventy one. Um, let's see, in 1976, bear bow production, uh, it was 360,000 bows in one year. Wow. And then in 1978, the bear super razor heads, which is just another 
form mm-hmm. of broadhead. Um, so those were just some of the big accomplishments that occurred while they were in Grayling. I'm going to be honest. Mm-hmm. I didn't go much further because so basically in, in the mid-70s, Bear sold most of his share of the company um, and he became the head of the board because he was getting older and he kind of was done with the spotlight and making the decisions because he was working in the factory supervising essentially while they were in Grayling. Mm -hmm. But when they moved, he took more of an advisor type role. And so they moved to Gainesville, Florida in like 1978 i believe um and mm. and they still build bows in in gainesville florida to this day um oh. but yeah so at that point i mean he's able to do a lot more stuff and actually i think i got my i'm sorry i have to correct myself he sold most of his holdings in 1968 and so at that point he was like an honorary board member so in 1970 he was able to do something, stuff like this, where the Fred Bear Sports Club was founded and made open to the public two years later. And then in 1973, Bear was named inaugural member of the Archery Hall of Fame, along with some other uh, other archers who were very famous. But um, hmm. yeah, so big things. He had time to do more PR. He's out creating uh, clubs and. Um, more initiatives, but never was quite as hands-on as he was, you know, while they were in Grayling. He loved Grayling. He, when they moved up there, he lived in a tent next to the Osable River while they were mm. building the factory because he just, he loved to fly fish up there. And I have been to Grayling before. We actually, so there's a restaurant in Grayling, Michigan called the Bear Den. Remember, we, we got pizza there. Mm-hmm. and they have yeah. Fred Bear's car in there, and the walls are lined with bows. Oh, no um, way. Most of Grayling has a really good relationship with Fred Bear, but it's interesting. The biggest reason that they moved to Florida was that there, there was a labor strike, and there was, there was labor issues in Grayling. And so the company at that point determined that it was time to move to Gainesville, which is a shame because mm. it's, to me, it's such a cool part of michigan history but they were based out of grayling so um the factory no longer stands in grayling Grayling. of all places yeah yeah i mean there's not much to going on in grayling i mean there are it's just a cute little northern town it's i don't know it's cute or whatever but it's a small little downtown northern town and people around the osaba river whatever a lot of cabins um but man uh uh what's that one brewery uh god paddle hard what's that brewery called is it paddle hard paddle hard oh fred bear would have loved paddle hard man (laughs) really really good tacos and pizza really good beer too i don't know it's new owners now i've been there but it's you know stuff is like cool there but uh, overall there's no like big industry or anything right yep so that's i i kind of lose the romantic relationship with bear archery after they moved to gainesville um, but they still make bows okay. in Gainesville and it's cool. So Fred bear, obviously, like I said, continued to do some awesome things. Uh, he really leaned into the filming of hunts. He hunted polar bears. He hunted Kodiak bears. Um, 
I'm going to share a quick hunting story because he had, he earned himself a couple of world records. Um, so this guy, I told you about the fact that he hunted his brown bear. Um, over the years, bear would become an international bow hunting legend, tackling all manner of dangerous game with his trusty bow and arrow. Bear broke six different archery world records for various big game species, which includes Alaskan brown bear, barren ground caribou, mountain caribou, Canada moose, and stone sheep. His hunting prowess also proved uh, deadly to more elusive species around the entire world. In 1963, he took a Bengal tiger during a trip to India. The following year, Bear dropped a four-ton elephant at 40 yards during a trip to Africa. And then in his second trip to Africa in 1965, shot a male lion. Only the second time ever anyone did it with a bow and arrow. Um, he also got a Cape Buffalo. He which killed anyone... an elephant with a bow and arrow? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, he also hunted a Cape Buffalo, which they're like bison, but bigger. Um, mm-hmm. And then in 1966, Bear was able to take a polar bear. His third try at the elusive beast. So, and all of these were filmed. So that was kind of the cool thing. You know, we look at like shows like Meat Eater and stuff like that. And, you know, he did it. He did it first. And yeah, I know, you know, a lot of those things. Um, cool. I it's don't like, you know, love the then, idea. Like, un- unbelie- it's back then. It's unbelievable what he did this in the 60s. Yes. 70s. Yeah, 60s. Okay, so I mean, even back then, like a lot of people still, TVs weren't a thing, internet wasn't around. People didn't know what a Cape Buffalo was or see, they've never seen lions up close. There were zoos around, I guess, but not every zoo is like it is today. Right. Where they have every animal. Like Fresno, why why Fresno Zoo has lions and elephants and a rhino or something? I'm like, that's fucking crazy. Yeah. It just wasn't like that back then, maybe. And so I could understand the appeal back then. I think people today would be like, I don't know, not to, it's not, we're not going there, I guess, but, uh, I mean, the polar bear is like, damn, that's kind of fucked. (laughs) Yeah. Can you imagine someone hunting a polar bear these days? Yeah. Yeah. And like putting it on film. I think it's like, uh, holding it up. (sighs) Yeah. 300 pounds. When I see stories about like Teddy Roosevelt and all that, there was a lot more trophy hunting that went on back in the day. And, I don't necessarily think the idea, I don't like the idea of trophy hunting. I, I don't know that it serves a purpose and it still happens today. People go to Africa and hunt giraffes and, you know, zebra and whatever. And I personally, I guess I don't understand the appeal, but, um, I don't know. It's, I, I don't, I don't like it, but it's it is part, it it's is. part of human nature to take it. It's a, it, it, it's, it's i think it's part of human nature and a lot of people some people whatever you want to generalize it mm-hmm. to take the bigger to get the bigger thing and for people that like to hunt the bigger thing is the bigger animal the more exotic yeah. animal and we, yeah. we neither of us know enough about what's going on in africa to make a educated comment on if trophy hunting is bad if taking a elephant is as bad as we are made to believe it is or a lion right I had a friend, not even a, a friend, he was a dude that I knew through another friend that went over to Africa in 2021 and got a giraffe. He got some 
uh, like antelope care. I don't know what else, like other random little animals. And he was telling me like the population was like it exploded because COVID shut all travel down. So there's mm. nobody coming in to like hunt animals over yeah. there. Um, and part of me is like, oh yeah, I mean, maybe it's just like deer over here. Right? You got to control the population. Another part of me is like, it's Africa. Isn't the wild going to take care of itself? Like, yeah, there's lions. I don't know. And hyenas. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I don't, but I don't have enough education to make a thing, but my heart says just let the boys live. Yeah. I think that but, you know, there's whatever. more, there's more to it than I understand at all. But I do know that with trophy hunts like that, a lot of times they're done on, uh, like nature preserves, which have been built up to allow for certain like hunts like that. And then like the meat from the animals go to, you know, local tribes or communities or whatever. I don't know any of that to be a hundred percent fact, but I'd like to believe that at at least if, if nothing else, the, the meat goes to a good cause. Yeah. I think I think that you're right. That's a great point. And I'm sure there are things just like that. I think the thing that bothers people and I could understand why it would bother me is the ego aspect of the person coming back to the states having done that. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yep. Like totally kind of irrational, but at the same time you just kind of want to just some people that like brag about that uh, kind of just want to hit hit them in the nuts and take their balls and you almost wish the the lion would have gotten them around. <laughs> yeah, in some ways, like yeah, you think you're the king of the forest, dude. There's a great episode in that '70s show. I don't think this is gonna make my point. Where Eric is like they're hunting, and Eric's like, "Wow!" He sees a buck. He's like, "It's the he's beautiful. He's the king of the forest." Yeah, and then Red is like shoots his gun, takes it out, and he's like, "Nope." Eric, I'm the king of the forest. <laughs> Hilarious scene. Red, huge, just dick. But also, that was the 70s, so maybe it's a similar thinking. Anyways, I uh, and I, just I like, look yeah, at the I way that's what bothers people sometimes. Fred Bear's doing it with a recurve bow. Like, if you, I guess if you're gonna hunt any of those things, maybe that's the most sporting way to do it. You know maybe maybe i don't know i watched a video of a guy this is totally off topic and i'm not quite done yet with fred bear but i watched the guy they were on they were hunting in africa and i don't know if they were hunting a lion or if the lion just happened to be there but the lion charged him and it was literally like two feet away from him and lunged at him and he managed to get a shot off right as it like landed on top of him and it was like dead when it hit him but i was rooting for the lion on that one <laughs> yeah well that's the thing too it's like uh i he, i just don't know enough but there has to be situations where it was like well if if you don't kill the lion or you don't kill the bear it's gonna kill you like yeah well, yeah no shit you're in their territory yeah like wolves if there was a really cool graphic i saw on the internets the other day about wolf packs and they like they observe they tag the wolves and they watch, tra- tracked their territories and all these wolf packs and the wolf they all like stayed within their circles no nobody ever crossed because you know that was the other that was the other wolf's territory and if you cross mm-hmm. it you're gonna get your ass kicked and maybe killed yeah but we're humans and we're smart so we go in territory and we anyways I don't know I get but, what you're trying to say that's an example I guess yeah yeah. Well, we digress back to Fred Bear. Trophy hunting is iffy, but yeah. anyway. 
Um, yeah. There, uh, I found an M Live article, which any of you, if you're in Michigan, you know what M Live is. But M Live is basically like an online newspaper for Michigan related things. And there was an M Live article from 2009 about preserving a Grayling legend, talking about about Fred Bear. And they went around and interviewed people. And there was a guy that had like a ridiculous collection of bear bows and and all that. And um, I'm gonna pull a couple quotes from that. Um, this guy used to work at the factory and I'm going to, I'm going to massacre his name. So I apologize in advance, but this is what he had to say. I used to see him downtown all the time. Back when I wasn't interested in archery, you'd see him every day. Bear was a, an early morning fixture with others at a local bakery and coffee shop. And I used to call them the Knights of the round table. They'd be in there every morning shooting the bull. Ease of conversation was a trait that endeared bear to the townsfolk. According to a Gary Warden of Grayling, who worked at Bear Archery for 17 years until the factory moved to Gainesville, Florida in 1978. He was one hell of a personable fellow, says Warden, who started in the factory manning the bow press before eventually becoming the bow room supervisor. You'd see him driving around town, have his window down, summer, winter, don't matter, that window would be down. You'd be working in the plant. And there he'd come walking down to you and stop and talk to you. That's just the way he was. He was on top of everything and everything that went out of the plant he wanted to be a part of. Just part of Bear's meticulous attention to quality. So, I mean, like I said, the proof is in the pudding. Fred Bear was a great guy. And I think that the takeaway from this is he built... A fairly large, I mean, he built a huge business and he built a huge following, Mm -hmm. but he always took the time out to talk to people, give them advice, shoot the shit, have coffee. And I think that's something that we should keep in mind for ourselves is you never know what little interaction you're going to have with somebody that's going to really mean something to them because people don't always remember what you do but they always remember how you made them feel. And it's pretty obvious that Fred Bear made a lot of people feel happy and everything. I found nothing that was Fred Bear was a bad guy. There was, there was no, no one had anything bad about it, about him. Nobody had anything bad to say about him. (laughs) And at the end of my life, if that's, if that's the way that, uh, people can speak about me then i will call that a success yeah i think that's great that's totally true that's kind of the way northern michigan is too yeah very friendly i think that mold very very much fits uh what what the way that he was where you say he was um yeah yeah. Stuff. Any Good video Fred. I watch about Fred Bear Fred, interviews, did, anything like that, it's just genuinely, it's just wholesome, good stuff. Yeah. Uh, it sounds good. I mean, he, he sounds like he cared about his company, uh, about the product that was going out. He really made it his life's work before the company. Uh, and he, he made a huge following and he did it without Twitter and all these things that we have today. So, I mean, that's yeah. impressive. He did yeah. it just with his own word of mouth and his lifestyle. Yep. Which is great, yeah. And every time, every time I go into the, yeah, go ahead. Every time you go into what you finish, I can get. I was gonna say every time I go into the woods, I could buy a new bear bow or a new 
any type of recurve bow. Um, but every time I go into the woods and I'm carrying a bow that was made in Grayling, you know, at the Bear Archery Company, I feel, I feel that connection to Fred and his message and the passion that he had for bow hunting. And I know I'm still fairly new mm. to the whole world, but like, it's there's something special about being in a northern Michigan, you know, wooded area hunting for deer with a grayling made bear bow. And it it's a pretty cool thing and I really enjoy it. I think that's pretty rare. That's and there's probably not other places in the world that you can hunt with a weapon that was made in the same or surrounding area. Yeah. I maybe, uh, I'm I don't sorry, know. Not that's I'm I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to say America. That's probably fairly rare in the world. That's probably pretty common, like in Africa and stuff. People yeah. probably make their own weapons. Uh, <laughs> um, so, okay, so did uh, that's Fred? So how old did Fred live to? What, what, what are we talking here? He was eighty six. What's his later life? He's yep. eighty six. So he died in, in the eighties, nineteen eighty eight. So eighty eight. So him and Ted Nugent were working up pretty good friendship. Ted Nugent wrote the legendary hit song, Fred Bear. Yeah. They knew each other through, I mean, uh, Ted Nugent still is and was a, a big bow hunter. And obviously anyone who's a bow hunter knows Fred Bear. Um, so that's how they got to know each other. Yeah. I don't really like Ted Did Nugent, but I like Fred, the song. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Songs solid. Yeah. Ted's. Everything I've ever seen about Ted Nugent just kind of creeps me out. Yeah. Uh, Uncle Ted. Did, did, did Fred have any children? No. So Fred was married once. Um, from what I read, they had a fairly happy marriage. Um, she actually even worked at Bear Archery, but ultimately their lives just went in different directions. They didn't have children. Um, and he never remarried. So they split amicably, which again is a testament to his character, but that's, I hate to say like, man, that's too bad that he didn't have children, but it is, it, it yeah. almost feels like it is a missed opportunity. Well, it's a huge missed opportunity because he knew, could have named his son, Teddy, Ted bear. Teddy bear. Teddy bear. <laughs> That's good. You got hairy bear. Yeah. Teddy bear. Good name. There's something going on with you. There's some, there's some connections in your life. There's something going on with you and the universal forces with, you know, you got Teddy Roosevelt, you got Freddie bear, you, you combine them. You got Teddy bear. You got <laughs> something's going on. Hunting in 29 with Fred bear and 30. You is hey, you're, man. You're in store for some special work. There's going to be, there's some things coming down the pipeline that there might be a Theodore <laughs> coming. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Theodore. <laughs> you should name your son Theodore Bear. Teddy Bear Mueller. That's what you should name your son. See how, see how con, Teddy Bear I'll run Mueller. that. Yeah. See I'll run Connor that by Connor. That. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah. I think. I I want to leave it there. He was a great guy. He influenced mm-hmm. bow hunting in a way that no one ever will, probably ever again. Um, he yeah. made it popular, and he did it all without pissing anybody off, and and that's pretty cool. 
Yeah. That's very cool. Thank you for that. Yeah. Thanks, Fred. Thanks, Thanks Corey. Fred. I appreciate Fred. I appreciate you, Bones. I appreciate yeah. all of you listening. If you've made it through this whole episode, thank you. Go back and listen to all our other episodes and then go leave us a rating and a review. And while you're at it, go to apsyfarms.com, build yourself a meat bundle, use warrior code wow, use code warrior10 for 10% off at checkout. Go do it. Don't hesitate. It is a warrior. It is a warrior code. Yeah, it's a warrior code, warrior10 <laughs> for 10% off. Yeah. Kyle, also, Bob, the also, entire Apsy family is just a wonderful group of people. Yeah. They are. Kyle's great. Really great Instagram too. Even better people. Yeah. All right. Well, we like Fred and meat. And, and you guys. We'll and all week. you guys. I, I, yeah. Yep. All right. Peace out. We love you. <laughs>